0: Why want you to know you absolutely matter to God, and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. I suppose few religions have generated the kinds of discussion and uh, debates and the controversy and the dialogue as Islam. And um, you could say even the conflict right now in Israel is inherently tied more than just land disputes. But... The religious differences. And regardless of the current news cycle, it, it is deeply relevant because the Islamic faith is the world's second largest religion, second only to Christianity. There, there are now almost 2 billion Muslims in the world, um, almost 2 million in Canada, 5% of our population. I wouldn't be surprised if everybody in this room personally knows a Muslim. They are well represented in the GTA. You are probably well past the stereotyping and caricaturizing that can happen. Um, You may be surprised to know that the majority of Muslims are not from the Arab world, actually. In fact, the country with the largest population of Muslims is Indonesia. And uh, I certainly hope it's not a surprise to you that the overwhelming majority of Muslims are not uh, radical terrorists, in the same way that the overwhelming majority of Christians are not, you know, conspiracy theorists, Christian nationalist weirdos. Not everyone knows that, uh, for instance, during the the Persian Gulf War, Islamic nations such as Egypt and Syria and Saudi Arabia and others joined uh, the Western nations to to fight against uh, Islamic Iraq and and the invasion of Kuwait. Um, Most Muslims in the world condemned the terrorist attacks of 9-11 and the Boston Marathon and and ISIS-Paris attacks. So, so we're not in the business of propagating any, you know, Islamophobia from our church. There's enough of that going on without us adding to it. What is true about the average Muslim is, is that they are someone who is sincerely committed to Allah, which is the Arabic word for God. <clears throat> and the primary goal of the typical Muslim, this is, I know this is ironic, me Teaching this while you know, Mani and and uh, some other Persian families are are here. So please correct me when any of I get this wrong. But the the primary goal of the typical Muslim is to be submitted to Allah. In fact, that is what the word Islam means: obedience or surrender or submission to Allah. And the word Muslim simply means one who is uh, surrendered or submissive. So Islam is the belief. Muslim is the believer. And here's the question. What is the difference between Islam and the Christian faith? Well, I don't want to lose you right off the bat, but just a little historical context. The Islamic faith began with the prophet Muhammad in the city of Mecca, in the year 610 A.D., when Muhammad was 40 years old. And he is said to have received uh, his first revelation or series of revelations from the angel Gabriel. And they were eventually compiled in their holy book called the Quran. And at first, Muhammad didn't even believe that they were really from God. He thought that he had been possessed by demons, But his wife encouraged him that his visions were of a a divine origin and that he should teach what he had been shown, so he did. The heart of the message was that there was one and only one God instead of many gods. Uh, The early Muslims were persecuted for this belief. They eventually had to flee Mecca and went to the city of Medina. The, The Islamic calendar begins when Muhammad himself had to flee Mecca in the year 622. And uh, when Muhammad and his followers established themselves in Medina, Muhammad was granted religious and political control. And then by the year 630, Muhammad and an army had grown to such power and influence that they were able to return to Mecca and take control without really even a struggle. And as he re-enters Mecca, Muhammad destroys all of the idols within one year. He was able to unify all the tribes of the Arabian Peninsula under the religion of Islam. Two years later, June 8th, 632, uh, Muhammad died. And after the death of Muhammad, Muslims faced something of a a division as to who would lead it. Essentially, the Islamic faith divided into into two groups the, the Sunnis and the Shiites, Is it up there? Oh, well, then, yeah. Good work, everybody. Uh, no. Uh, the, the, the Sunnis uh, believed that Muhammad's successor should be elected. And the Shiites believed that Muhammad's successor should come through Muhammad's bloodline. And the Sunnis kind of got their way, at least in the sense of the popular vote, and are now the largest branch of the Muslim faith. Of the 2 billion Muslims of the world, about... 1.5 billion of them are Sunnis. But the Shiites probably get a little more press. Because while they only number about 250 million, they're very authority-oriented. Authority you were Shiite in Ar- Iran, yes. And they believe that their religious leaders should exercise both religious and political power. So with a country like the Islamic Republic of Iran, um, the president of Iran is subject to the supreme leader of Iran, who is the Grand Ayatollah. And and many of the radical movements within Islam are made up of Shiite Muslims who, who wish to bring revolution to areas they feel are not in line with Muslim ideologies or governments. But even then, you can't even paint that with too broad a brush, because The Taliban, for instance, better known as ISIS, are not Shiite Muslims, but radical Sunni Sunni Muslims. So Sunnis can be radicalized uh, too, it seems. And then there's a mystical third wing of Islam called Sufism and, and several minor Muslim sects, such as the... Druze Muslims in Lebanon and Syria and the Nation of Islam in America, think think Malcolm X. But it's the Sunnis and the Shiites who dominate. And of those two, the world's Muslims are overwhelmingly Sunnis. So after the death of Muhammad, Islam spread throughout the world in rapid fashion, largely due to military expeditions or, or jihads. And within 12 years after Muhammad's death, this strategy resulted in the occupation of Egypt and Syria and Iraq. At the time, people were not forced to be Muslims. And the people who were conquered were, for the most part, treated well. But the fact that the country was controlled by Muslims and under Islamic law, the non-Muslims were clearly second-class citizens under that leadership. And it led to, to many feel pressured to accept the faith. So that's a quick view of its history. What about its beliefs? This is, this is really important to understand that the Islamic faith is built around five beliefs and five practices. So let me just quickly walk you through the, the, the first, uh, the five beliefs that are also known as the five doctrines. The first and the most essential doctrine of Islam is that God is one, and there is no other God but Allah. And nothing and no one else is to be associated with God. The second belief is that there is a hierarchy of angels with the angel Gabriel at the top. Uh, According to Islam, everyone who has ever lived has two angels assigned to them. One to record all the good deeds, and the other to record all the bad deeds. And there are also bad angels called uh, jinn. It's where we get our word uh, genie from. Third major belief is that every um, uh, that God has sent a, a prophet to all nations to preach the message of there being only one God, including some familiar names to us, Adam. Uh, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, Jonah, John the Baptist, and and Jesus. Yes, that Jesus. We'll circle back. Muhammad, however, is the last and the greatest of the prophets and the only prophet who is for all time. The fourth major Islamic belief is that four of the highest-ranking prophets were given books of divine revelation or scripture. Those four are Moses, who was given the first five books of the Bible, David, who was given the Psalms, Jesus, who was given the Gospel, and Muhammad, who was given the Quran. But only the Quran is considered to have been preserved in an uncorrupted state and has existed eternally in Arabic in heaven. The final Major belief is that the God of the Quran has declared that there will be a day when we will all stand before him in judgment. And on that day, each person's deeds will be weighed in, in the balance. Those people who have their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds will be rewarded with paradise. And those who have more bad deeds than good deeds will be sent to hell. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of Christians have a similar thought on how they'll be judged. You know, sort of bell curve. Now, coupled with those five beliefs are the five practices of the Islamic faith. Also known as the five pillars. The first practice or pillar has to do with reciting the Shahada. Shahada. Shada. And uh, Shada means to be a witness. And when you recite it, you say, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is his prophet. In fact, saying the Shada with sincerity is, is really all it takes to become a Muslim. The second practice is to pray. A Muslim is required to say 17 cycles of prayer each day. These cycles are usually spread out over five times of prayer throughout the day. At dawn, noon, uh, mid-afternoon, dusk, and then two hours after sunset. They must wash themselves in a prescribed way before praying. And when they pray, they must face toward Mecca. And the only time when Muslims are expected to gather together is at noon, Friday, at their local mosque. The third practice is to engage in um, the annual fast, in remembrance of Muhammad, receiving the Quran during the ninth lunar month of Ramadan. Uh, Muslims are expected to fast during the daylight hours of that month. Now, I was certainly aware of Ramadan. I did not know that. The the dates change. The month changes from year to year because Muslims follow a a lunar calendar. And during the fast, they don't eat, drink, smoke, engage in sexual relations. The fourth practice or pillar is to give alms. Muslims are to give a certain percentage of their income to the poor and the needy. The, The final belief is to make the... Uh, pilgrimage or Hajj, every Muslim uh, must make a trip to Mecca at least once during their lifetime, provided they are able to do so financially or, or physically. Once there, they visit, you know, the sacred sites. They perform certain rituals, including mass animal sacrifice. More than two million people gather on an annual basis. It's it's the world's largest attended religious event now some muslims add a sixth practice which is the jihad or holy war technically the jihad is a personal war that you wage against yourself in terms of you know discipline and submission it has to do more with you know mental or spiritual striving but as you have probably heard, and this is what makes us a little nervous, it can also include actual war um, for the sake of the Islamic faith against others. And if you die in the course of a jihad, you go straight to paradise. And this has given you know, a rise to a certain dark side of Islam. Again, condemned by most Muslims, but it did lead up to such events as 9-11, and, and it continues to motivate acts of terrorism and violence around the globe. So you probably heard in that brief explanation that there are some points of, you know, of common ground or seemingly common ground with, with Christianity and some points of massive divergence. Like, Islam has these, these admirable qualities. How many of us pray five times a day, right? There are elements of deep, Devotion there is a high bar of morality of personal sacrifice, and they share with Christians a belief in the sacredness of some some scriptures and they join with Christians in believing that there will come a, a time of resurrection and judgment of heaven and hell, but then you come across like significant differences that are completely irreconcilable. So what's the difference? Let's talk about a few of the big tension points. First, Christians agree with Muslims that there is is one and only one God. But we maintain that scriptures teach that his oneness is a composite unity or what is commonly known as as the Trinity. In other words, the one God is made up of Three persons. Now, this does not mean that there are three gods, just that the nature of the one God is triune. It's still still a mystery to us. But there is one God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons who are one God. So it's not like one plus one plus one equals three, it's more like one times one times one equals one. And when the Bible records Jesus referring to God as his father and himself as son, he's not talking about sort of a physical connection. He's actually talking about identity and equality. To be the son of someone in in that sense that Jesus uses the word was to be of the same order of that person and have the same qualities of that person. So the, the people of his day understood this. Believe me, they understood, because so many of them were deeply offended. One time, the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders of that day, um, confronted Jesus about healing someone on the Sabbath. Look what Jesus said to them. Jesus said, my father's always at his work to this very day, and I too am working working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And and so when Jesus says in John 10 that I and the Father are one, Christians accept that, Muslims do not. And this leads to the second big distinction between Islam and Christianity, the very nature of Jesus Christians believe that Jesus was a lot more than a prophet. He was God himself in human form. The second person of the Trinity who who came to earth to be the ultimate manifestation of God and his truth and to die for our sins on the cross. Muslims hold Jesus in, in high regard, but they don't believe that Jesus was anything more than a prophet. And not even the greatest prophet. That position belongs to Muhammad. So so Muslims believe that through the Quran, God broke into history through the written word. We believe that through Jesus, God broke into history through the word made flesh. And, And to give the clearest, most comprehensive picture of God himself in the flesh third big distinction between Christianity and Islam has to do with the nature of salvation. Mani referred to this. How do you get right with God? How, how are you saved? Christians believe that we do not earn our way to heaven. We do not work our way to heaven. But that salvation is a gift offered to us through the death and the work of Jesus. Muslims believe that you have to earn it again. You got these two angels counting up every good deed and every bad deed. And you better hope, you know, that the count comes in your favor. There's no free gift from Jesus or anybody else for that matter. And Muslims believe that it would be an insult for one of God's prophets, even if he wasn't the greatest one, to die such a death death as the one on a cross. That's why they they actually don't believe Jesus really died on the cross. This may be new to most of you. It was new to me. but, But many believe that Jesus was somehow caught up into heaven and someone else took his place on the cross because they can't believe a prophet would die that way. But Christians believe not only that the death of Jesus happened but that it didn't happen by accident. It was very much on purpose that God chose it and that it matters because it was in our place. And Jesus loved each of us so much that he would give his life for us. And that's such, and that's such an act isn't something shameful. It's the most beautiful thing ever. It wasn't dishonoring. It was the greatest single act of love in all of human history. And this is how actually the Bible puts it in the book of Philippians. And Jesus being found in appearance as a man. Humbled himself. And became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. We don't have to wonder if we've done enough Good works to get in, because when it comes time to have our life weighed in the scales, it won't be our life that that's ultimately examined, but the life of Jesus. His life will be substituted for ours. When when the when the judgment books are opened, everything we've done will be blotted out, and under our name will be everything that Christ did. The heart of the Christian message is that we are not saved on the basis of what we do. We're saved on the basis of what was done for us. So, one more uh, point of tension. And it's not in the same category of salvation. But it's, it's no small thing either. And it has to do with violence. There's a myth, and it is a myth, that when it comes to violence and bloodshed... You know, the Bible and the Quran are, are on equal footing. This deserves a whole sermon or sermon series. Many investigators of Christianity are like, well, heck, Christians themselves are either appalled or at least confused about the wars and the bloodshed and the violence in the Old Testament. And it, and it needs more than just two minutes to unpack that. Maybe we could revisit this later. Uh, about the bloody bible uh uh, later but just to say the difference between christianity and islam when it comes to violence is is profound in fact let's just let the quran speak for itself again most muslims condemn the violent acts of islamic terrorists but the quran itself has some troubling passages there's no other way to put this. When it comes to justifying violence in the name of their faith, it's not like terrorists are making it up. They're they're getting a context from the Quran. For example, in the second chapter of the Quran, um, there's a passage that teaches that whenever believers meet unbelievers, Muslims are encouraged to smite their neck. And that not only appears in the second chapter, but in the ninth. 47th chapter as well. Let me just quote it directly. When you encounter those who disbelieve, strike at their necks. Then, when you have routed them, bind them firmly. Had God willed, he could have defeated them himself, but he thus tests some of you by means of others. As for those who are killed in the way of God, he will not let their deeds go to waste. He will guide them and will improve their state of mind and will admit them into paradise which he has identified for them. Islamic tradition approves of violence against infidels and those who leave Islam as their native religion. And to this day, reports of someone who converts to Christianity in an Islamic country show that many are charged with blasphemy and even executed. And then there's this quote that is attributed directly to Muhammad, Uh, The sword is the key of heaven and hell. A drop of blood shed in the cause of Allah. A night spent in arms is of more avail than two months of fasting or prayer. Whoever falls in battle, his sins are forgiven. And at the day of judgment, his limbs shall be supplied by the wings of angels and cherubim. Friends, when you have that kind of rhetoric coupled with the kind of reward, you're gonna get some takers. And that's what we have seen happen. And all it takes for this kind of jihad is for a Muslim leader to issue a fatwa, which is a legal ruling by a man of high standing in Islam that that someone is in violation of Islamic principles and should be punished by faithful Muslims. And there have been jihads called for by some leaders of muslim nations not just to individuals but against entire nations this is this is exactly what osama bin laden did he issued a fatwa and let me read it to you verbatim the ruling to kill the americans and their allies civilians and military is an individual duty for every muslim who can do it in any country in which it is possible to do it and of course we know what happens so while Islam itself implies peace, as Muslims will quickly tell you, the Quran contains these clarion calls for violence. And when Islam is opposed, the Quran states, and I quote, fight them, the non believers, so that Allah may punish them at your hands and put them to shame. Again, I hope to address one day um, some of the violence recorded in the Old Testament. Um, But it is very much unlike the Quran. when you study the biblical record. And it's actually marked by more mercy and restraint. So please be patient with me for not addressing what you might see as a contradiction or hypocrisy. There are good answers uh, that we just don't have time for today. One more uh, divide between Christianity and Islam also explains why There's a lot of hostility from some Muslims. And that divide is over Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a flashpoint. It always is. It's at the heart of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Because both groups consider it their capital. It contains Judaism's holiest site. Islam's third holiest site, and what arguably is is Christianity's most sacred sites. Uh, For Jews, we talked about it last week, uh, in Jerusalem is the site of the temple, which was built on the very place where the great patriarch of the Old Testament, Abraham, was about to sacrifice his son, Isaac. So the only remaining part of the temple is the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. Uh, It's the only surviving remnant of the second temple. And uh, uh, we showed it last week. This is what it looks like today. To Christians, Jerusalem is the site, of course, of the Last Supper, the death, the burial, the resurrection of, of Christ. The, the Church of the Holy uh, Sepulchre in Jerusalem is said to be built on the site where those events took place. Uh, this is what it looks like. Um, I was there, as some of you were, um, uh, kind of disheartening how it's it's been, I don't know, turned into something kind of gaudy and... And religious there's actually a little debate about where the actual tomb would have been there's another potential place just down the road from there Uh, and I'm a little more partial to it for no other reason than the place where Jesus was crucified was called Golgotha the mount uh, or, or place of the skull and so just look at this other location I mean what do you see um, and right under there is, is uh, a tomb. Um, regardless, Jerusalem is sacred to Muslims because Muhammad is said to have ascended to heaven from the stone that is now enclosed by the Dome of the Rock on Jerusalem's Temple Mount. This is what the Dome of the Rock looks like. That mosque is considered to be uh, the third holiest mosque in the Muslim world after the ones in Mecca, and Medina. So in some ways, you could argue this part of old Jerusalem might ironically be one of the safest places that you can visit in the world because you have the invested interest of three faith groups, Christians, Muslims, Jews, uh, making sure that nothing happens to these holy places because uh, of, of the, their holy sites. But this isn't about a place and, and this is what may be helpful to understand in the wider cultural context. This is about a, a goal. And it's really at the heart of Islam. Muslims believe that humans are born good, but are corrupted by non-Islamic cultures. It's very different than the Christian faith that sees all humans being born into sin. You know, And our problem isn't the culture, it's our heart. And for Muslims, the problem isn't sin as much as living in cultures and societies and under governments that don't follow Islamic law. So the way to battle that corruption is to put everything and everyone under Islamic law. And according to Islamic beliefs, the best hope of salvation for a Muslim is the elimination of non-Muslim influences and to advance Islam in a kind of a socio-political way. And so our culture, Canada's culture, the culture of the West, is without a doubt one of the biggest barriers by far. We are seen as, as a decadent culture. And yeah, like guilty. We are a decadent culture in many ways. And they would say that everything about it needs to be replaced This was how Islam initially spread throughout the world under Muhammad. It was through military expeditions. And now that element within Islam is is kind of bubbling up all over the world. In that sense, it has been said that Islam is the world's only major faith that can truly be defined as political. A famous book that came out before 9-11 called The Clash of Civilizations predicted this. And some would argue it's only getting more heated. So the difference between Christianity and Islam are stark. It's those differences that are at the heart of Christianity's appeal, though, to Muslims... Like There was a fascinating study conducted by the Fuller Theological Seminary who surveyed 750 Muslims who had converted to Christianity. Uh, They represented 50 ethnic groups from 30 different countries. They wanted to know what was it about Christianity that was so appealing to those who converted. And it was everything that we've talked about today, everything that Manny talked about, the most... Cited reason for conversion to the Christian faith had to do with the ideas of grace and love, the qualities embodied in Jesus. They, they said that Christians appeared to have loving marriages where women were treated as equals rather than slaves. They said that the Quran had produced profound disillusionment because it accentuates God's punishment more than his love. Um, that Muslims can never be certain of their own forgiveness and salvations as Christians can, and that they were attracted to the idea of God's unconditional love, uh, the idea of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached. To, To many in the Muslim world, I mean, those ideas are like rain falling on a on a dry heart and it makes sense because it's what makes these two faiths so radically different from each other